Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 133, Dragons. Yeah, I thought, you know, with Game of Thrones wrapping up, I I wanted better representation of dragons. So I decided to make my own. Where be dragons? Here be dragons. Here be dragons. And a big old fire-breathing welcome to our newest patrons, Melissa, Vicky, Kate, Veronica, Jennifer, Rory, Michelle, Jamila, and Gina. I like that Jamila messaged us to tell us that her name was pronounced like tequila because I wouldn't have pronounced it right the first time. I very much appreciate it. You share a name with Jamila Jamil, and I think that is absolutely wonderful. Beautiful. The best person. Also, the best person, Jules, are supporting producer-level patrons. Philip, Eeyore, Christy, Mercedes, Samantha, Danica, Marissa, Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh. I just love the, like, bounce to that. It's There's just, wonderful. like, a rhythm to it. It's great. You get to end on Phil Fresh, which Phil is Fresh. like like a, a little skip before you walk into work. I just, I really appreciate it. Skip the beat. Yep. And thank you, as always, to our legend-level patrons whose uh, anatomy and wings and horns and uh, feathered tums are the talk of lore. Kelly, Cody, Mr. Folk, Talia, Haley, James, Jess, Sarah, Sandra, Audra, and Jack Marie. Oh, man, they're the feathered tums. I don't know if I want you talking about our patrons' feathered tums, Amanda. <laughs> It'll make sense in the episode. We talk about yeah. tums a lot. We do. We talk about many tums. Not the antacid, but the, the, the little tummy of the dragon. Yes. Speaking of which, Julia, what did we put in our stomachs during this episode? Uh, so I picked something smoky for this one because dragons. Uh, and during the summer, I love a tequila drink. So I made a mezcal version of a gin fizz. So if you're one of our recipe level patrons, you will get the recipe for this one. It's very good. I call it a smoky fizz. It was absolutely delicious. And I actually made one for myself when I was finishing my recommendation for this week, which is Good Omens. I Now, Julia, you and I know that we both read this book when we were maybe like 13 or 14, Mm -hmm. um, really early on in our in our like middle high school days. And it was outstanding. I was so nervous for this adaptation because I wanted it to be really good. And indeed it is. I loved it so much. They are just in love. And the first few episodes of the series, the first half is just like a lovely, like cross-century love story. Uh, I've been diving back into fandom, reading a lot of fic, looking at a lot of fan art. And to me, you know, I there's all kinds of like high art that I love, right? But a, a TV show or a book or a movie that makes me just want for the journey never to end and to need to go back to fandom again and again and again to get my fix, that to me is something really special. Yeah, I hadn't felt that way about a piece of media in a while where I got very excited when the characters interacted. Yeah. But that that did it for me. Oh, God. So good. And if you have an Amazon Prime video, you can stream it. And I mean, if you like this show, you will like this. It is about Armageddon and an angel and a demon trying to prevent Armageddon. Absolutely amazing. And finally, this week, we want to remind everybody that we are having a live show this Friday in two days' time as of uh, episode posting at the Gosh Darn Bell House. Oh I my God. Ugh, can't believe it. 
I, I, I still, it doesn't feel real to me. Like, I'm going to get there and I'll be like, so what show are we seeing? Oh, ours? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's outstanding. There are still a few tickets available. So if you are in New York City or you're able to make it at 8 p.m. on Friday, we would love to see you. Go to multitude.productions slash live to get your tickets. Yes, please come. I, I just finished putting together the slideshow for the spirit segment. Yeah. And it's going to be incredible. Yeah, we get to use slideshows because we're going to be in the meat space. It's going to be amazing. Meat oh. space. Yes. We're doing Beautiful. something a little different for the spirit show. And I think it's going to be very well received. Wonderful. Well, until then, conspirators, please enjoy episode 133, Dragons. So Amanda, recently the the famous dragon show Game of Thrones wrapped up its final season. Thank God we've been liberated. I know you have many thoughts. Uh, I do. I, I read the books um, as they were coming out as a kid. My brother Connor uh, was way more nerdy credited than me and started reading them very early. But I uh, liked it for a long time. And then I got kind of off-putted when there's a lot of like gratuitous sexual violence. Um, but I, I was around for the last season. I appreciated it being like a cultural moment. It was cool to, you know, talk to everybody and everyone either was extremely uh, adamant about not having an opinion or did have an opinion. Um, and I, I'm glad it's over. I'm curious what the uh, what the books are going to be like. I don't think uh, tyranny is a, a good response to tyranny um and you don't kill all the brown people in your show that's yeah those are my main opinions i also know you were part of a game of thrones fantasy draft did you end up winning this year i did not uh i did not i did not it was extremely sad um who'd you lose but i (laughs) i i think kelly yes uh beckman won and in previous years you know the real winner though was eric schneider's team name the fatty baratties Actually, all of your team names were very, very, very good. I, I took a look yes. at the, the listings at the end of the season, and you all had fantastic names. Thank you. It uh, it was extremely fun because you get points not just for, you know, ascending a throne or killing people in battle, but also like eating and drinking on stage, boobs being out, uh, good and cutting one-liners. So it was extremely fun. In previous years, I had had the like, there's this like grandma figure who has extremely cutting lines, and it was very fun to have her on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that one of the like biggest points one can win in the Game of Thrones fantasy draft is killing a dragon. As a key element of Game of Thrones, dragons are super important to the world building of the show and the plot of the show. Uh, so obviously dragons are not very unique to Game of Thrones, but for a lot of fantasy fiction, especially with the typical European Western centric style of dragon. But today I want to explore a huge swath of different types of dragons and dragon mythology from around the world. It's a dragon roundup. Ooh, I love it so much. I'm picturing all the dragons flying around in a little circle. It's very cute. I like that a lot. Um, I am going to say right now, there are so many dragons and so many cultures have dragons. And I'm definitely not going to hit all of them up. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode roundup of the ones that I don't mention in this episode, but for now. This is like an Applebee's sampler platter of dragons, and you can only fit six fried things on that platter, Julia. Only six, but they are all fried. (laughs) And it's like half portions of each one. I love a sampler platter. You know I do. Me too. Gosh, I just want mozzarella sticks right now. It's 10 in the morning. Okay, let's go. (laughs) So let's get this out of the way first. We're going to take a moment. Amanda, describe to me what a dragon looks like. Okay, dragon friends are scaly, uh, like a lizard. Mm-hmm. They often have spikes on their back. Mm-hmm. They have kind of long snouts, uh, sort of like an alligator mixed with a lizard. Mm-hmm. Um, clawed feet, tail, 
big old wings that look like a bat. That's the normal dragon. Okay. Uh, how many legs? Four. Okay. Usually. Cool, cool, cool. Except Chinese dragons I know are long and have much more. <laughs> are long. <laughs> long. Um, and the most important part of a dragon? Uh, besides the wings, breathes fire? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. All of the things that we just described uh, come from the high Middle Ages in Western Europe. That is our fundamental idea of what a dragon is in Western culture. So this image is actually a combination of several different versions of dragons that can be dated back before the Middle Ages. So the serpentine dragons are based off of sort of Hellenic writing, so Greco-Roman sources. Mm -hmm. Biblical images of dragons we get kind of from a similar area. I'll go into that a little bit further. Uh, and Western European folk traditions have dragon-like creatures known as wyverns. Oh, right. I've heard that word before. It is. It's like, it's basically like lesser dragon nowadays in like main fantasy. Cute. So the first image of what we think of as the Western European dragon is dated back to 1260 as part of a bestiary called the MS Harley 3244, which is obviously the name of a bestseller. <laughs> or is it the name of like a librarian who indexed it? It's almost certainly like the name of a monk who made yeah, yeah. this bestiary for sure. So according to medieval traditions, they can either be found in rivers or caves and were typically depicted as being greedy, hence the theme of the dragon horde, and were constantly hungry and unsatisfied. Same. Yep. Mm hmm. The biblical dragon blends into medieval traditions as well, connecting dragons with demonic forces and Satan because Satan is referred to as a dragon in the book of Revelations when it was translated into English. Hmm. In some stories, dragons could be driven away by the sign of the cross, as was the case with St. Margaret of Antioch. Hmm. Another really interesting intersection of Christian and Western European dragon lore is centered around the legend of St. George and the dragon, which I'm probably, I'm sure you're familiar with, Amanda. Yeah, as like one of the sort of English foundational myths. Yes. So early versions of the story were outlined around the 6th century AD. Uh, I'm going to tell a somewhat abbreviated version of the story because I really want this episode to focus on non-Western dragons, but it is a pretty influential story uh, with dragon imagery as we see it today. So the story goes that there was a dragon supposedly ravaging flocks of sheep in a town called Selene, which is in modern day Libya. So the dragon became more and more hungry, going so far as to eat a young shepherd one day. Not great. Hmm. Sucks for the shepherd. The townspeople started offering sheep up as sacrifices, but eventually the dragon devoured all the sheep, as one does. Sheep are not a, you know, a unlimited source. Yeah. So people were forced to start sacrificing their own children, Yeesh. with the children being selected via a lottery system. So one day, the king's own daughter is selected as a sacrifice. And while the king is trying to protest, the people still take her and they chain her to a rock besides the lake that the dragon is supposed to reside in as a sacrifice. Very like Greco-Roman, uh, like inspired kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. I'm getting very uh, kind of Shirley Jackson vibes. Oh, yes. Because of the lottery. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. One of my favorite short stories. It's the best, man. I, I somehow ended up with like four editions of uh, the same Shirley Jackson short story uh, collection. And so I just give them out to people all the That's time. Great. Like, hi, thanks for coming over. Here's a candle. Also some murder. I'll take one when you get a chance. Bye. <laughs> okay. This, of course, the moment that the, the maiden is being sacrificed to the monster is when our hero, St. George, shows up. So he sees the princess, assesses the situation and when the dragon emerges from the lake he stabs it with a lance okay subdues it with the sign of the cross coming back again 
and then tames it by tying the princess's girdle around its neck. And like we've we've had discussions about what a girdle Again. is in past <laughs> episodes. Luckily now I know what a girdle is. Excellent. It is a rope belt women wore as a sign of chastity, but also protection. Mm-hmm. I know not an not an ankle scrunchie. No, not that. <laughs> The, the ankle scrunchie, but you wear it on the, the top of your leg. Yeah. Gotcha. So St. George takes the dragon back to the town to show them the power of Christianity, because why not? Ugh. Uh, and then tells them that he will kill the dragon if all of the people in town convert to Christianity. They all, yeah, they all do, of course, because dragon. And St. George... Extortion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then St. George slays the dragon with his sword. Uh, okay. A lot, a lot in there I did not know. I just thought it was mostly the slaying with a sword part. Mm. But, um, you know, there it is. It ain't a saint if they don't convert a bunch of people. It's true. Yeah. So what we consider the typical dragon are also extremely important to part of medieval uh, heraldry, which I don't know a lot about heraldry. I think it's really interesting what I, like researched in my time um for example uther pendragon father of king arthur had a royal coat of arms that featured two dragons crowned in red standing back to back which is very dope also shout out to the pendragon series of ya fantasy books which i know some nerds out here in among the conspirators are going to know mm-hmm. among my favorite books they are uh right here on my bookshelf julia you can see them uh and i enjoy them very much I, they were good i think i read up to the one where they it was like Tron. Yes. Yeah, okay, cool. That that's, happens. That's There's time travel. There's like different worlds. The guy, like the protagonist got sexier over the course of the series as he grew up. And 10 mm. year old me was like, hello. I should have yeah. read more then. Huh? <laughs> All right. So this period also introduced the difference between the wyvern versus the dragon. So mm-hmm. a wyvern is a dragon, but it's got like, instead of front limbs, it has wings. So it only has two legs, whereas the dragon is the four-legged, but also like back wings. Right. So that's that's our difference between them. Lesser dragon versus actual dragon. So right. a wyvern in heraldry was used as a symbol for overpowering demonic forces and clashing with Satan himself. But when not on a coat of arms, they represented like viciousness and were associated with envy and also pestilence, because why not? Hmm. That is the dragon that Western society knows all about. But let's let's start at the beginning, as, as early to the beginning as we can get here. Okay. So how did we get to that Western dragon? So the first place we're going to look, obviously, is going to be Mesopotamia. So they actually had several types of creatures that could be considered dragons in the vague sense. So there's the Uzmagal, which is a three-horned serpentine monster that had the front legs of a lion, as well as the back legs, tail, and wings of a bird. Okay, you know what? I think that one's kind of adorable. It's like a bird that can hug you or kill you. It's like a griffin, but also longer and has three horns and kind of serpentine. Sort of adorable. I love it. Uh, Heck pupper artists. I think it's time to come through with an illustration of this adorable lion-legged creature. Uh, So its name translates to the Roaring Weather Beast, which is a very good name. Love that. There's also a version of a similar creature where it is a horned lion-dragon hybrid with a scorpion tail, though this is typically associated with the Assyrians. Scarier. Scarier because tail. The bird tail, cute. Scorpion tail, bad. If if the tail can, independent of the body, like reach out and get you, no. Don't like that? Nope. 
According to some stories, the Babylonian goddess Tiamat was described as being a dragon rather than our traditional anthropomorphic goddess. So she was described as a giant serpent with horns and a long tail and with skin that no weapon could break through. Wow. Love her. Great. My first thought was, are there boobs? But Amanda, we're going to move past that thought. I mean, probably. Honestly, probably. Just be like that sometimes. So we actually get two instances of dragon-like creatures when we look at Egyptian mythology. The most recognizable one in modern society is the Ouroboros, which is the serpent swallowing its own tail. Oh, really? I never would have put that in the dragon family. Yeah. Is it often depicted as just a snake, which I think is how we see it these days? So it is often depicted as just a snake, but the original uh, creature that we now know as the Ouroboros was called the Many-Faced. And it was a five-headed serpent that would coil around the corpse of the sun god Ra in the Book of the Afterlife. Oh. Yeah. So it, it was five-headed. Uh, later on, it would get the wings and more dragon-like features because it would be adopted by the Gnostic Christians and then was used as a prominent symbol by alchemists during the medieval period. I love it. And by the medieval period, we had gotten our classical dragon look. So they transformed it more into a classical dragon. Julia, this is completely a non sequitur, but I have to tell you that uh, our friend Gretchen McCulloch uh, from our uh, names episode recently did a talk in which she revealed that there is a uh, a glyph, like a, a, a character called a multiocular O, which is included in the, I don't know what it's called, like not Unicode, but some like standardized alphabet on the internet. Um, and it's just a bunch of little, uh, little O's smushed together, seven of them. <gasps> Based on the seraphim, I it's supposed that. to. It's supposed to represent the many-eyed, scariest of angels. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Yeah, that's... and you can like make it on a keyboard if you know the the proper cut. Uh, anyway, did this reminded me of it, and I want to tell you that's very good. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Thank you, Gretchen. <laughs> All right, so the other dragon of Egyptian mythology is a pep, which is a serpent that would reside in Duat, which is the underworld, as we've talked about yep. in our past episodes. A pep was constantly at battle with Ra, uh, and this is what caused the setting of the sun each day. So a pep was said to mm. be the length of eight men, like tall-wise, not like eight men yeah. standing next to each other. <laughs> uh, and his head was made of flint, which I think is a really interesting like addition, because when you think about it, flint is the thing that helps you light fires. And maybe this is where we get some of our fire breathing aspects of our dragon from. That's fascinating. And also reminds me of the very like Hades version of the underworld as being like rich with resources. Mm -hmm. You know, Flint, is, it looks very much like you just excavated it from the ground yes. and it's craggy and it's gray. You know, I, I really like that. I like that too. Yeah. Interesting. A pep could bring chaos to the world. So his roars could cause thunderstorms and earthquakes and solar eclipses were blamed on when a pep would attack Ra during the daytime, eclipsing his light. Yeah. Into that, right? Very, very cool. I'm seeing a lot of ties between dragons and vampires, too. And that just struck me as um, the daylight related thing. Ah, interesting. I, I, I did not make that connection, but I think it's really, really cool that you did. Yeah, I'm, I, I've just I've heard a couple of things so far that reminded me of a parallel. So I'm going to keep that as like a hypothesis as we continue okay. through and cool, see if there's cool. any other uh, parallels. I love it. All right. In this essay, I will. In this essay, I will. I feel bad now because I was going to include Slavic dragons as a part of this episode, and we probably would have seen a lot more comparisons to dragons if I had done that, but for next time, for sure. For next time. I vaguely mentioned biblical dragons earlier, and for the most part, this refers to the Leviathan, a beast that was destroyed by God in Isaiah 27.1. Here's the quote. On that day, the Lord shall punish with his sharp, 
great and strong sword, Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Oh. So again, we're getting another interesting imagery between dragons and water. Which is yeah, totally. Almost, you, it, we'll talk about this later because uh, modern dragons we kind of consider fire elementals, right? Right. But almost globally, dragons are associated with water. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I'm trying to think here. I mean, I guess a cave dwelling dragon. You can see how they would have fire and like the horde, kind of the Tolkien esque dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes way more sense that a, a serpent like creature would be primarily water based. Yeah gosh, I love when you do that. Okay, so let's finish this one. In Job, the Leviathan is described in greater detail. It states that it exhales fire and smoke, even though it lives in the sea. So interesting. Hmm. We're seeing this kind of dichotomy of the, the creature here. Also kind of scariest as possible, right? Like they they are completely, uh, you know, kind of unmatched in the water. And also when they like jump up or come out and they're amphibious, maybe, oops, wait, there's fire there. Yeah, bad. Like, very like scary. <laughs> So depending on translations, there are other instances of dragons in the Bible. So Ezekiel 29.3 and the apocryphal additions to Daniel include a story of Daniel encountering a dragon that is being worshipped by the Babylonians, which he then slays. Classic Babylonians (laughs) worshipping something against God. Oh, gosh. God dang Babylonians. (laughs) Gotta kill all your false gods. They do. They say, dang, God. Dang, God. And then all the Hebrew prophets are like, God damn it, one more time. (laughs) (laughs) So there are various other precursors to the traditional Western dragon that came out of the West. So the Slavic dragons, which are known as the Zimia, the Germanic ones like, oh God, I can never pronounce this one's name, the Jormungarden. I think that's right. Sounds right. Yeah, sounds right. Uh, And even, of course, the Greco-Roman ones like the Hydra or the dragon that's guarding the golden fleece that's sought after by the hero Jason. There it is. But this would be a very, very, very long roundup if we decide to go into all of them. So like I said, we'll probably do another dragon roundup at some point in the future. But in the meantime, we're going to shift out of the West and head East to discuss their very distinct version of dragons. But first, let's get a refill. I'm going to need it. We are sponsored this week, Julia, by HoneyBook. This is the online business management tool that helps me to organize our client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. And as you know, we do this because we love podcasts and we love making them and talking to people about them. But there is so much behind the scenes that's necessary to run the business. And I love that HoneyBook helps me to save time on all that administrative stuff and do more of what we love. Yeah. Surprise, podcasting is hard. Yeah. And HoneyBook is sort of like that person in your corner helping you to tackle the multitude of tasks that you maybe don't really want to do and really love. It just makes it so much easier. And the less time I spend thinking about all of this stuff, the more time I can spend making cool new stuff for our listeners. And best of all, right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off their first year with promo code SPIRITS. The payment's also flexible, so you don't have to commit to the whole year upfront. The promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually, which I think is pretty cool of them because small business, cash is not always on demand and available all the time. So you can go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code SPIRITS for 50% off your first year. Yep, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code SPIRITS. So Amanda, recently I've taken over the Multitude Instagram. 
Hell yeah, you have. Instagram's never been like my super specialty. I much prefer Twitter. So I really wanted to learn how to better master and better use our Instagram to kind of promote our live shows and our regular shows and all of the new things that we're doing here at Multitude. I ended up going to Skillshare because I was like, hey, Skillshare, you've given us great stuff in the past. Teach me about marketing and Instagram stories for business. And so I found a class literally called Instagram stories for business. Nice. If you, like me, need to learn a new skill, are ready to learn something new and exciting about the world, go to Skillshare.com. They are a online learning community for creators that now have over 25,000 classes and you can fuel your love, your creativity, and your career. At Skillshare.com slash spirits2, you will get two free months of Skillshare premium, which gives you unlimited access to all of the classes that they have to offer. Yep, that's Skillshare.com slash Spirits2. You get two free months and you can learn so many things in two months. Absolutely. That's Skillshare.com slash Spirits and then the number two. Amanda, again, I'm going to talk about 2015 real quick because sometimes I get real stinky after I do a big workout. Also, it's summer and I am sweating from every place all the time. And I've noticed that my my underarms get really sensitive when I use kind of the drugstore deodorant. Like they're they're very sensitive to the aluminum. So... I was so excited when we got approached by Myro, who is making deodorant better. Yeah, they are naturally effective, which I've tried lots of natural deodorants over the years. I also, I want to be more earth conscious. And Myro is the first plant-powered deodorant that actually works. Like we yeah. said to the, we said to our, uh, our advertising partners, like, listen, we would love to do this, but only if we like it. And we genuinely like it. Yeah. And they have a vegan formula. It is hardworking, long lasting. It's no toxic anything. Absolutely. And it actually reduces waste too. And I'm trying to be more conscious of my plastic waste. Mm -hmm. So the way this works is you choose from five cents and then you get a case and then a little deodorant pod that goes into the case. After 30 days, you can sign up for like refills that come every three months delivered right to your door. And they're conveniently timed for when like the average person would run out of deodorant. Mm -hmm. And each pod is about one month supply. So it's not like a thing you have to change every week or every two weeks. It's very easy. You can mix and match the scents. You can pause or cancel the refills anytime. And it helps you to use less plastic and create less waste, which I think is great. And I really, really loved the scent that they sent me. The scent that they sent me. <laughs> it smelled incredible. I think it was a pillow talk and it was divine. I just, I, my underarms have never smelled better, which is saying <laughs> something. So if you too want to have very lovely smelling pits, you can go to mymyro.com slash spirits and use promo code spirits to get half off your first order and get started today for just a $5 starter kit. That's a case and a pod for just five bucks. Yep. So visit mymyro.com slash spirits and use that promo code spirits. That's mymyro, M-Y-M-Y-R-O.com slash spirits and the code spirits for 50% off your starter pack. And now let's get back to the show. So we'll start with Hindu traditions as we start to head east. The first one is going to be the fact that Indra, the god of storms, does battle against a giant serpent associated with drought in the Rigveda, which is a collection of 1,028 hymns and one of the four Vedas, which are the sacred canonical texts of Hinduism. So Indra slays the giant serpent with a thunderbolt, and with the death of the dragon, rain comes to the land. Because wow. dragon associated with drought. And Indra, being rain god, brings the rain. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about drought, you think about like cracked clay, right? And like super arid conditions and, and forest fires and stuff. So to have the opposite of a dragon being rain, 
is like a curious kind of data point in the middle of the like rain to fire spectrum. Yeah, for sure. And it'll become more interesting as I tell you more about Chinese and Japanese and other Eastern dragons. Oh, yeah. So another story from the same source features a three-headed serpent that guards a large amount of cows and horses. Indra slays the serpent as well and takes the cattle for his own. And the cattle are in some sources uh, used as a metaphor or representation for rain and water. So like a flood of cows being like water storming through an area. Wow. Isn't that cool? I love that. It is really cool. I love love metaphorical imagery. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. So all of this kind of really leads up to one of my favorite examples of a dragon, which is the dragon of Chinese tradition. All right. Now I know them being very long with many feet from the Chinese New Year celebrations. Yes, that is fair. So I actually, I honestly could probably do a whole episode on just the Chinese dragon, but we're going to condense down to the basics here and the stuff that I find the most interesting because I'm the researcher and I get to pick what I want to teach about. (laughs) Yeah. And as always, an invitation to more learning. So if folks find this really interesting, there is like a whole internet and bunches of local libraries for you to peruse. So the typical Chinese dragon is depicted as snake-like with four legs and is interchangeable with other animal characteristics depending on the type of dragon. So, for instance, there's the Xionglong, which is literally translates to the god dragon, who is a thunder god who controls the weather and appears to have a dragon's body, a human head, and a stomach resembling a drum, because thunder. Okay. The, Cute. It's got a human face. I'm going to move past that part and just focus on the on the drum tum, which is extremely adorable. I picture like, do, do you know those um, those uh, tools that percussionists use that looks like a, I don't know, like a tiny little broom, but it's metal. Yes. And you like move it across the drum and then it makes like a little rain sound. I'm picturing that only it like makes the dragon like it, it's a good it's a good tum scritch. And they like they like read, you know, adorably. It's a good tum scritch. And it also brings just like a misting of rain instead of like a yeah. full blown storm. I like that. Love that. It's very, Love very that. cute. So Aww, now whenever it's foggy, I'm going to picture a dragon getting its tum rub. <laughs> it's very cute. <laughs> um, so most Chinese dragons don't have wings. That is actually a very specific type of dragon known as a felong, which is a winged dragon usually depicted riding on clouds and mist. Aww. One of my favorites is the zhulong, which is known as the torch dragon or illuminating darkness. Ooh, does he breathe fire? He is... A great red solar deity that has a human face and a snake's body. He was said to create day and night just by opening and closing his eyes. And the seasons changed whenever he inhaled and exhaled. Whoa, that's pretty amazing, though. Really, really I love cool. that a lot. I wow. He's, he's my fave. Also, must have a really large lung capacity if he does like 90 blinks, if you think about it that mm-hmm. way, in between each breath. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... He one just just big old lungs, yeah. And and two, if you think about it, I think it's like an inhale and an exhale creates oh, one season. You know, yeah. So yeah. when you inhale, you're like bringing one season closer, and then when you yeah. exhale, so it's probably only like half the three month period that we think of. That's beautiful though, because it really does feel that way. Like we're getting um we're getting close here to the summer solstice, where the the days have gone from getting you know much much longer to starting to get shorter again. And thinking about it as like a gentle exhale to me is a lot less depressing than like wow we are starting our slow slide toward the darkest part of the oh, year. God, don't please. I'm so happy about the sun. I know. So the word for dragon in Cantonese is luang which according to an archaeologist, Zhao Shongfa, is onomatopoeia for the sound of thunder. Oh, which is very cool. Dragons in Chinese tradition 
are considered the kings of the animals in the animal hierarchy. And historically, the dragon is also associated with the power and role of the emperor of China. So the founder of the Han dynasty even claimed that he was conceived after his mother dreamt of a dragon. Wow. I don't know if the dragon was the daddy. Who can say? But it might have been like a Virgin Mary kind of thing. I mean, dragons just strike me as as inherently royal. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's the association that we've grown up with over time, but that completely checks out to me as sort of top of the animal hierarchy. Yeah, heck yeah, because it's it's this creature that we don't see in real life that is larger than life in a lot of ways. And um, it's really, really fascinating to think of just how we conceived of this dragon being so much bigger than what we know it to be. Yeah. So whereas the Western dragon has these negative connotations of greed and power, the Chinese dragon represents good luck, prosperity, and harmony. So there are many instances of unearthed dinosaur bones in China being referred to as dragon bones, with documentation of these discoveries dating back to 300 BCE. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And I love the idea of dinosaur fossils being these precursors for dragons and uh, human understanding being, wow, there's these huge, huge creatures that we haven't seen in real life, but oh my God, they existed and they're, you know, they lived among us at one point. Even yeah. I mean, that maybe I'm sure some some anthropologists have talked about perhaps the cultural memory or somewhat evidence of dinosaurs maybe informing the myths that we tell now or like you said the sort of like backward compatibility of these things Mm -hmm. and being like oh wow look at like as our understanding of fossils grew being like clearly that's a dragon or clearly dragons are small versions of dinosaurs because so much of what we understand about both of those things like seem really compatible yeah seriously i i just i love how the human brain works to figure things out backwards and create myths to explain phenomena that we otherwise can't explain I know we really are so good at uh, at coming up with like unified theories of the world. No, it's so good. So according to a Han dynasty scholar, Wang Fu, uh, he documented that Chinese dragons typically had nine aspects that were the same across the board. So all dragons had these nine aspects. So here's his statement on that. The people paint the dragon's shape with a horse's head and a snake's tail. Further, there are expressions as three joints and nine resemblances of the dragon. To wit, from head to shoulder, from shoulder to breast, from breast to tail. These are the joints. As to the nine resemblances, they are the following. His antlers resemble those of a stag. His head that of a camel. His eyes those of a demon. His neck that of a snake. His belly that of a clam his scales those of a carp, his claws those of an eagle, his soles those of a tiger, his ears those of a cow. Upon his head, he has a thing like a broad eminence known as a chimu. If a dragon has no chimu, he cannot ascend to the sky. Clam belly. Clam belly, yo. Clam tum. Oh my God, so cute. I'm trying to think of what that would look like because, you know, I'm picturing it as the, the, the drum belly. Of the, I'm picturing like the belly of a snake. You know how clams have kind of like gentle lines that kind of you know have that pattern. I'm yes. picturing like an ombre tub. That's what I was thinking of too. I was thinking I think it's a little bit extended, like a clam yeah. belly, and yeah. then it has that rippling effect that clams have on their shells. Yeah. Like oh my that. gosh, it's very Amazing. very cute. I also love this idea of kind of segmenting the the dragon and looking at the characteristics of each because it does seem like um, I don't know like a like a Lego figure where you can kind of like take off the head and and the pants mm-hmm. 
and figure out how those things go together. Um, and there are kind of like very subtle variances that that kind of approach each of those segments. Yeah. And depending on other scholars, there are different combinations that make up a dragon. This is just this is just uh, Wang Fu's uh idea of what it is but there are other combinations such as the head of a crocodile or rabbit's ears or a frog's belly but they all have the same general shape and vibe that the chinese dragon can be seen throughout the history in art and depictions nice so another important note is that dragons are typically represented as ruling over weather and or water specifically moving bodies of water like rivers seas oceans and waterfalls I love the Mm -hmm. idea of a waterfall dragon it's very cute I know just like poke their head out from behind the waterfall the cave back there, a little pool for them to swim in. So good. I just had the image of the the T-Rex in Lost World Jurassic Park when it pokes its head through the waterfall, just like picks <laughs> up the guy, eats him, and then just slowly brings him back out again. I'm like, oh, beautiful. Love it. Listen, that sounds great. If I had a Baba Yaga house, I would totally park it next to a, uh, a like waterfall uh, lagoon. Heck yeah. So the dragon god Shenglung is also said to be the one that controls the rain and thus determines the type of bounty that would be received by the people during harvest season. So again, this idea of the dragon being this prosperous figure. Yeah. So there are even four dragon kings, each residing over one of the four seas in Chinese tradition. In times of drought, or flooding, Chinese villages near these bodies of water would offer sacrifices to these dragons in order to appease them and either invite rain or ask for it to cease depending on the circumstances. Smart. There's also plenty more we can talk about with Chinese dragons, but I would love to shift to some more other Eastern dragon stories as well. I don't want to spend the whole time on on our sweet, sweet uh, Chinese dragons. Love it. So the Japanese dragons are another obvious choice to discuss as they are really heavily influenced by Chinese dragon tradition. Like in China, Japanese dragons are associated with rainfall and bodies of water and are typically depicted as wingless serpentine creatures that have clawed feet. Hmm. One of the most well-known dragon stories from Japanese tradition is that of Yamada no Orochi, which is the eight-branched giant snake that had eight heads and eight tails and was slain by Susanu, the god of wind and sea. Wow. There's also Watazumi, who is the dragon god or sea god who ruled over the seas and oceans and was capable of switching between dragon form and human form. And you might remember him from the fact that he is the father of Toyotama Himi, who we discussed before. And oh, I sure do. They lived in Dad that dragon. sweet undersea palace. Yeah, extremely good. Very, very good. I love it. There's like a whole section on uh, Watazumi, who he's just like... The bounty of the sea, all of the riches of the sea are all his and his domain. And that's why his undersea palace is so freaking nice. So good. So tight. Such, such a delightful thing. There are also several yokai and folklore stories focused around dragons as well. So one is the wet woman, who is Noro Onna, who is a dragon with a woman's head and a snake's body. Love that combo. Very good. Yeah. Who will be found washing her hair by a riverbank and will kill any humans who disturb her. Beautiful. Leave her alone. Let her have this one thing. Do not interrupt her self-care routine. Please. <laughs> Growing up, that was the one like hard boundary my mom had. She's like, you do not knock on the door when I'm in the bathroom. You wait. Yes, you wait. Do it. There is also Kiyohime, who is the purity princess, who was a woman who worked in a tea house who fell in love with a young Buddhist priest who would come by the shop. He spurned her advances and she studied magic, transformed into a dragon and killed him. Love that one. 
Oh, man. So good. <laughs> very good. So fleabag. Such fleabag vibes. <laughs> it's very excellent. I really appreciate it. Don't lead women along. Don't do it. They'll turn. They'll learn magic, turn into dragons, and kill you. <laughs> oh man, just just the just the general vibe of that is so good. It's kind of the ultimate like breakup glow up, mm-hmm. right? Where like you spend a breakup, you know, getting yourself in order. You clean your house. You get a cool haircut. You buy a caftan. You like get swole. Whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and in her case, she's like gonna learn magic and do whatever I want with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe turn into a dragon. Who knows? Who can say? Who knows? Don't, don't hit me up again when you're drunk because I'll, I'll kill say? you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So we'll wrap up with like, Je- oh, yeah. No, no. How's uh, how's like how's Maria doing? Is she all right? Uh, dude, she's a high priestess now. <laughs> she's a high priestess who can turn into a dragon. So like maybe don't bother her anymore. She doesn't want to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with that, we'll wrap up with Japanese dragons and move on to Korean dragons because they also have a fascinating background. So while it shares the association with water and rain, as well as being benevolent creatures, there is a focus on the fact that Korean dragons are often mentioned to be sentient and have the capacity for speech, even understanding complex emotions. Whoa. So there are even several examples of humans becoming dragons and retaining their human minds and emotions, as was the case with King Munmu, who on his deathbed had his wish granted that he would become, quote, a dragon of the East Sea in order to protect Korea. Which, dude, so choice. Good ruler Thank there. You. Thank yeah. you for that. So typically Korean dragons are depicted with long beards as well, and they carry around an orb that is carried in their claws or mouths, which is supposed to give them omnipotence and the ability to create things at will. What is the orb made of, do we know? Or it's just kind of like extra planetary? It's it's extra planetary. Uh, It usually drops from the heavens. So I'll get to that point. You're always asking the right right, questions. (laughs) So the Korean dragon is said to evolve out of the imugis, which are these giant serpents. So an imugi can become a true dragon only if it were to catch one of the orbs that I mentioned after it fell from heaven. Oh, nice. So it's this it's a celestial orb that can fall from the sky. And if the imugi gets it. Then he becomes a dragon and he grows a That's big beard. That's extremely interesting. I love that. And I feel like I've seen in a lot of like anime and uh, and like children's shows, um, Chinese dragons depicted as having beards. And all, also I feel orbs. So yes. maybe it's like a conflating of, of traditions. That yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, cross pollination when it comes to dragon traditions in Korea, Vietnam, China and and Japan. So an Amugi also could transform into a dragon if it managed to survive to become a thousand years old, which we saw when we talked about the Pokemon yokai episode when we were talking about the kitsune. Yeah. If a fox spirit becomes old enough, it transforms into a kitsune. Or, or for example, the snail. If the snail grows to 30 years, it becomes <laughs> a sweet mermaid creature. <laughs> so good. It's like the ultimate... It's the ultimate reward. And like, truly, don't we need more milestones in between renting a car and retirement? Yes. Yes, we do. God, that just made me so sad. (laughs) I know. Though I feel like I I read this profile of Helen Mirren and she's like, yeah, like you get older, then you stop giving a shit. Like, it's great. Yeah. And uh, I I feel like maybe that's the that's the like dragon uh, transformation that we all deserve. I mean, we talked about that, too, in our cannibalism episode. Yeah. Which was very, very cool. But the idea that as we grow older... Maybe maybe we get our superpowers because we just stop giving a fuck and society does not hold us down as much. I will take the bullet. I will try to do that 
and see how it goes. Yeah. So as I said, there's definitely some dragons that we didn't include in this roundup, but it's definitely a topic that I do want to revisit again at some point because there are so many stories uh, without even getting into modern depictions of dragons because there are plenty of really cool and versatile modern depictions of dragons. But for now, yeah. that that is my roundup for you, my friend. Julia, such a good roundup. I liked it so much. Oh, thank you. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on dragons? Any like any uh, theses that we can we can wrap us up with? You know, I've always thought of dragons somewhat as the like ultimate human conception of a predator mm-hmm. and like an animal that, you know, we think of ourselves as being the top of the food chain and like, yes, there are lions, yes, there are bears, like yes, there are these things that we know like wolves or something can kill us, even snakes and scorpions, right? Mm-hmm. Like tiny but mighty um, with, with their power of poison. But the dragon has always seemed like like the, the king of us all, like someone that, you know, you have to slay it. And the reason that it's significant in folklore is because it's such an impossible task. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating that there are so many um, kind of strands of like kinds of power here. Like we talked about water and fire, mm-hmm. but also there are the dragons that like ride on clouds and can and can fly, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the kind of Western Game of Thrones conception. Um, and there are dragons that burrow into the earth, you know, with the flint and the cave. And so it just feels like depending on the society, depending on what is particularly significant or scary or threatening or valuable, you know, there are so many ways to kind of morph this creature into a version of what feels the most significant to you in your place. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to say, too, about the fact that Western society, there is this huge creature that has powers that we can't comprehend, and thus it's evil or represents a power source. Whereas in in Eastern society with our Chinese dragons and our Japanese dragons and those traditions, this is a creature that has more power than than humans do and will always have more power than humans do. But it's something that brings peace and brings prosperity and brings like just good to the society. And I think that says a lot about kind of what we value and kind of where we place ourselves in the world. Yeah, it's obviously, you know, painting with a, a broad yes. brush, but there are a lot of ways in which like a like a conqueror mindset um, has come to shape the folklore that remains um, in at least our background growing up. Mm -hmm, For sure. We're we're definitely more familiar with the Western idea of the dragon as a sort of terrifying creature when I, I quite like the idea of the the peaceful, powerful form of prosperity that the Eastern dragon is. I just love that uh that like lizards and things. And snakes and and little scaly friends mm-hmm. um, are are sort of in the way that like the the chicken is the modern dinosaur, mm-hmm. right? And you look at like chicken feet, dinosaur feet, and you're like, yep, nope, that's the same. Yep. Um, I, I like to think of uh, the little creepy crawlies as being our tiny daily quotidian dragons. I love I love our tiny danger noodles who probably <laughs> probably were bigger danger noodles at some point in mythology. So sweet, so sweet. Oh man, I like like our danger noodles friends. Remember to stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. HoneyBook is the purpose-built business management platform that helps creative small businesses like Multitude to thrive. Get half off your first year on HoneyBook.com with the code SPIRITS. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can learn and teach just about anything. At Skillshare.com SPIRITS2, you can get two months of Skillshare Premium for free. And Miro is making deodorant better. Get half off your starter pack, meaning just $5 for a case and a pod of deodorant at mymyro.com slash spirits and use the promo code spirits. 
Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>